That's Psalm 36, starting at verse 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in a heart. So, Ruth chapter 3, page 306, starting at verse 1. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, the subject of the book we've been reading, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true, I am near of kin. There is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet till morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. 
Christianity is full of words which we don't normally use in everyday life. Uh, words that just don't mean anything to your average person on the street and often, frankly, don't mean that much to us as Christians until we've taken the time to think about them. But there is a reason for that. Um, sometimes there are words for things that we just don't have in our language because we don't have those things in our language. We need to understand what God does for us, what Jesus does for us, in ways our language just can't do without these words. So the Bible uses those words for a reason, to help us understand how good God's rescue is. Now, one of those words is redeemer. Um, repeatedly, the New Testament talks of Jesus as a redeemer, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Often we can pass over that without really thinking about what it means. The little book of Ruth has a lot of purposes. We, we've seen that already. It teaches us about compassion and commitment and love. It's a picture of how good life is when we live it in accordance with, with God's instructions, with his law. But it is also a really vivid picture of what a redeemer is. And in this chapter, what faith in a redeemer is. It's about relying in a personal, risky way on the Redeemer God has given. And since Jesus is a Redeemer, this chapter tells us about how to approach a Redeemer. It is a strange little story. You probably noticed that if you were listening. Uh, but it does have a lot to teach us. So uh, you'll remember, if you were here before, that we've seen the story of Ruth and Naomi, uh, two widows who had had a terrible time, lost their husbands. And Ruth, uh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, has left her own land, her family, her country to come and to stay with her, to look after her. And uh, they've, they have found help. Uh, they have found uh, Boaz, a man who has been very gracious and kind to them and given them lots of help uh, day to day in the last chapter. But it's not quite enough. Now, we do look at this in three parts. We see three things about trusting a Redeemer. Uh, active trust in 1 to 4. It teaches us sensible trust in 5 to 9. That's a terrible title, by the way, but I think it gets something important. And confident trust, 10 to 18. So firstly, um, 1 to 4. Um, Naomi is going to come up with a cunning plan. You'll have to judge for yourself whether you think it is a good plan or a uh, terrible plan. It's certainly a slightly nutty plan, but it's going to demonstrate um, what it is to throw yourself on the mercy of a redeemer. You see, Naomi, um, her trust in this redeemer they've been given, Boaz, in this very earthly redeemer, isn't going to be a passive thing. She's not just going to wait and see what happens. She's going to take things into her own hands and go and, and actually actively ask him for real and lasting help. So at the beginning of the harvest, last, last week, 2.20, she had said, uh, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen, redeemers. In other words, he is one of the people who, according to God's law, as a close relative, has the obligation to look after our family, especially when our family is in trouble. And now, a few uh, weeks on, she and Ruth have benefited every day from his kindness. But Naomi's thinking, it's all very well getting hands out, bits and pieces, you know, a little bit of help now and then. But the harvest is done, and once the grain we've got runs out, we're going to be going back to begging, whether from him or anyone else. 
And she's thinking especially of her daughter-in-law, thinking this isn't, this isn't good enough for her. I want more and better for her. She says, my daughter, shouldn't I try and find a home for you where you will be well provided for? She wants a real home and rest and a future for Ruth. And, of course, in those days, that did mean finding a husband because there weren't very many other opportunities at the time. Naomi thinks, who could make a better husband than this guy Boaz, who's been so kind to us, so reliable, so gracious, so loving? And uh, more than that, he's a kinsman. He has an obligation as a redeemer to us. So Naomi outlines her cunning plan. Tonight, he's going to be uh, winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Uh, the threshing floor is a you know, big flat space where they'd take the grain and um, the, when they winnowed it, they would, they would like, like these people here, they'd throw it in the air to get rid of all the chaff, the dust, the dirt, all the bits and pieces mixed in with the grains. So you've got nice, pure grain. It's the last thing you do at harvest, in other words. It's a final moment. They've harvested everything. Now they're just getting rid of all the rubbish in the grain so that they can take it home. And... It's a celebratory moment. It's a happy moment. The harvest's in. And so they're going to have a, a little bit of a party of it. Boaz and his men, they're going to have a, a good meal and a glass of wine afterwards. And then they're going to uh, sleep there, a little bit of a camp out, um, partly to guard the grain. There's plenty of robbers and animals around, so they'll guard the grain. But they're making, making a, a bit of a festive occasion of it. So Naomi says to Ruth, wash and perfume yourself. Now... <laughs> That, that verse is probably a little over-translated. If we, if we switch to another translation like the ESV, I think it gets a bit better. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself. In other words, they used olive oil for soap and deodorant, pretty much everything. So she's saying, do that, freshen up, put on your cloak. In other words, freshen up rather than um, dolled up. Get freshened up, then head down to the threshing floor and wait. Check where uh, Boaz goes off to bed. And then lie, uncover his feet and lie down in the darkness. Now, just to be clear, Naomi wants Boaz to marry Ruth. Uh, just to be clear, this is not a normal marriage proposal. Um, I'm guessing not too many of you have been married, married proposed quite like this. Um, if anyone's planning on getting married and you're planning on a proposal just like this, I think we should probably have a discussion afterwards just about whether that's a wise plan. Um, it's worth remembering with Bible stories. You know, the Bible doesn't always make it clear whether the people in the story are doing things that are good or bad, <laughs> or sensible or foolish. Um, not every Bible story is a model for us to copy. <laughs> in fact, some of them are models for us to avoid. They also don't give us lots of clues. It's not like a superhero film or a, you know, a fairy story where it's really obvious. You know, you can tell that guy's bad because he's dressed as the bad guy. It's not a pantomime. So it's like real life. We've got to look at this and think, has Naomi got her head screwed on here or not? So that we're not to copy things mindlessly, but we'll look at the story and see what we can learn from it. Now, Naomi's plan has an awful lot to stay against it. Uh, we, we saw it in chapter two. Ruth is very, very vulnerable. It's a dangerous time. There is a lot of sexual violence around particularly. And if she turns up at the threshing floor in the middle of the night and takes the bottom, lifts up the bottom of his duvet and lies down, what is Boaz going to think? Um, and what is he going to do? Is he going to take advantage of her? Is he going to call her out and say, what's this woman doing here? There's an awful lot of possibilities that could have it going wrong. It's also a plan that opens them to real and acute temptation. 
matter what she's thinking. Well, firstly, she's relying on, on two things. He's a really decent guy. We've already seen that. She knows that he's shown care and respect towards Ruth. And secondly, she's relying on the fact he is a redeemer. He's obliged to help and look after her, not, not to take advantage of her. The other thing we have to keep in mind is just how difficult and awkward their situation is. She's a penniless widow, an asylum seeker, someone so poor she's picking up scraps in the field for food. And he's a well-off local farmer, a leader in the community. How, how does she go about proposing to him? It's not as if she can get him in private or send him a text message or call him on the phone or probably even write. I mean, writing is quite a recent invention. So she wants a moment for Ruth, just one-on-one, -on -one, her and Boaz. And so she takes the only opportunity that she thinks she has. So whether this is a good idea or not, you can see what she's trying to do. She's trying to, it, it's an act of, of faith and trust in Boaz, their earthly redeemer. Possibly slightly foolish in its form. But she's taking initiative. She's saying, I can't just wait around. I want to Ruth to actually come and ask him for a, a lasting commitment. Now, that should sound a little like Christian faith. You know, the New Testament uses that language of redeeming us. When Jesus is born, Zechariah sings that his God is to be praised because he's redeemed his people. Uh, God sent, uh, sorry, his son to redeem those born under the law. He sent us, him to redeem us. But Christian faith isn't just a, a, a matter of waiting and hoping and thinking, well, God forgives, God redeems, because that's what he does. It is and the New Testament makes this clear again and again. We, we come actively to him and we say, we make ourselves vulnerable, like Naomi is suggesting Ruth does here. And we say, I need you to redeem me. I need you to do this for me. I'm putting myself at your feet, as it were, and asking for your love and your help and your rescue. Now, despite what we've seen, it is also an example of sensible trust, five to nine. As I said, sensible is a rubbish title. If you're ever coming up with a sermon on this, I recommend you come up with a better one. But it gets at something, because sometimes we think of faith as a great leap in the dark or as wishful thinking. But that's not the picture here. Faith for Ruth and Boaz, is, it is vulnerable in a sense, it is risky, but at the same time, it's based on reliable promises and reliable character. Boaz is a reliable guy. And it is the same for us when we come to Jesus. We come trusting reliable promises and a reliable man, a reliable saviour, a reliable God. We come, we're able to come in a sensible way, knowing that when we come and trust him, we will be rescued. Now, Ruth does what her mother-in-law says. You know, she's a foreigner in a strange land. She takes her advice. So she waits uh, till Boaz has finished his picnic meal, his glass of wine. He's feeling cheerful. He's feeling well-fed. The harvest is in. He goes to lie down with a little bit of privacy at the far end of the grain pile. And once he's sleeping, she sneaks up very quietly, uncovers his feet, and lies down beside them. Then, a few hours later, in the middle of the night, something startles him. And, you know, blundering about, as you do in bed when you wake up in the middle of the night, he bangs into something, and there's a woman at his feet, which is probably not what he's used to. 
weird, dreamlike moment for Boaz, and he says, Who are you? And she answers, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're a kinsman redeemer. Now, in those days, people slept under their cloaks. You know, their jackets were big, sort of poncho-like things. So when she says, spread your garment, she's saying, you know, in one sense, give me a corner of the duvet. It's cold. But she is saying a bit more than that as well. Now, I don't know if when you were a kid, you ever, um, you know, ran around the playground holding out your jacket like wings. You know, you pretend to fly. Now, imagine how good that game would be if your jacket went all the way down to the ground, how big your wings would be. That's the picture here. Um, the ancient Israelites called the corners of their cloaks wings um, because they were like the wings of a bird. So she's saying on one level, spread the corner of your garment over me, your, your clothing, your cloak. But as this other translation puts it, you could also translate it equally well, both work, as spread your wings over your servant. Now, if you remember back to chapter 2, when Ruth came and Boaz first met her, he prayed for her and, and, and said that he wanted God to look after her, the Lord under whose wings you've come to take refuge. We read that psalm at the beginning that talks about coming under God's wings. The, the Old Testament talks about it again and again, as we said last week. It's like a, a, an eagle chick being sheltered by the wings, the powerful wings of the mother or father eagle. And that's uh, again and again and again used through the Bible. Ruth has become one of the eagle's chicks, as it were. She's come to shelter under God's care. And as that psalm said, Anyone can come and shelter in the shadow of God's wings. And interestingly, it then shifts um, the picture. It says they feast in, abundance, in the abundance of your house. In other words, they come into the, your house. They become part of your family. You look after them. And that's exactly what Ruth's asking. She's saying, in a sense, marry me. I want to come in to be looked after by you. Ruth is saying to Boaz, do you remember how you said to me, that I'd come to shelter under God's wings? Well, you're the kinsman redeemer God has given me. Be for me those wings of God looking after me and sheltering me. Care for me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. That's an interesting reason uh, to ask someone to marry you. Not, uh, you know, I love you. That's usually considered a good start, but um, nor either... Um, you love me, or I admire you, or I'm beautiful, or I'd make a great wife. Just look after me, because you are the Redeemer. This, is, this book is almost is the most like a love story we have in the Bible in some ways. We never see what they look like. We never get a glimpse of obvious romance. You know, romance is, is definitely a good thing as far as the Bible is concerned. The other books, like the Song of Songs, make that very clear. But something else is going on here. Marry me because of your obligation to care for me and love me. Now, before we go on to Boaz's response, um, what does this section mean for us? Well, as we've made clear already, um, this probably isn't a passage that's teaching us mainly about marriage and how to go about it. Um, whenever the Bible picks up a subject, it doesn't mean it's teaching us it 
about that subject straight away. Uh, you know, uh, unless you happen to be an ancient Israelite widow in the middle of the night, this is probably not a good way to go around proposing to a reluctant man. The main idea here is that we see a picture of someone throwing themselves on the mercy of a redeemer, just like we do with Jesus. She comes to her redeemer and says, spread your wings over me, be the protection of God to me, be his care for me. Not because I'm great, but because of your willingness to shelter and to love. That's what we do when we come to Jesus. You know, we don't come and say, come and, and, and rescue me, be my redeemer, because I tried hard this week and I've done a good job. Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm excellent, not because I'm a great catch for the church. But because you love to care for those who are in need. And the, when we come to Jesus, we are asking for the same kind of immense and audacious help. You know, we're not asking, give us a handout now and then. We're asking for him to be committed to us forever. So marriage is a great picture of that. You know, she's asking Boaz to make a big sacrifice, isn't she? You know, marry me as a way of looking after me. That's pretty final. It closes a lot of options for him. Well, Jesus gave up his life for us. There's a reason the Bible again and again uses the picture of marriage as a picture of Jesus' commitment to his people, to his church, to you. That's the kind of commitment he makes. But you can come and you can ask to make it because of his promises, his offers, because he is as reliable and self-giving and compassionate man as Boaz was, except 10,000 times over. He will take us. You know, we may come to him and think, I, I'm not worthy of being rescued by him. I, I, I do such awful things. And I've let him down so many times. But he'll take us because he is a redeemer. He is a rescuer who loves us and will never turn away those who come and throw themselves on his mercy and his help. Now, finally, confident trust. This is Boaz's response in 10 to 18. Go through this a little bit faster. We have a picture, as we said, of a good redeemer. A person in whom faith can be put. Someone you can trust. Trust in a good redeemer is a confident trust because you know that they'll deliver the goods. It's true with Boaz, though he's just a man. It's doubly true. 10,000 times true with Jesus. You know, Boaz's response to her is full of kindness and respect. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You could have been running around right run around after the young and handsome guys. You could have caught yourself a rich guy, maybe. Instead, you came to marry me. Now, could be very careful here. It'd be very easy to read that. I think our natural reading of that is something like, wow, thank you. You're coming to offer to marry me, even though I'm so much older than you. That's so kind and gracious of you. I don't think that's what's going on, uh, aside from the slight sort of ick factor with that. Um, he, he's saying, this kind of is great, kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. She hasn't shown him kindness so far in the book. He's shown her kindness, but he's looking back at the kindness she has shown. Now, she has shown kindness not to Boaz, but to Naomi. She left her, her home, her people, her country a life, for a life of loneliness and poverty to look after her mother-in-law, amazingly self-sacrificial. And you'll remember that earlier in this story, this word kindness that he uses here, uh, translates the word chesed. If you know only one Hebrew word in the world, that's the one to learn. The committed, uh, self-sacrificial love that God shows and wants us to show. 
He's saying, you showed that self-sacrificial committed love to Naomi, and now you're doing it again. Why? Because as a redeemer, he has an obligation to look after Naomi too. He has an obligation, and we'll touch on this a little next week, of not only that, of raising up um, his son as her family's son to carry on the family that has died with, with their husbands. So in other words, he's saying, Ruth, you could have taken your pick of the guys around here to look after you, but you chose the person who you were most sure would look after your mother-in-law. Odd reason to get married, perhaps. But you can see the reason that he's praising her all the same. And because he is a redeemer, he says this, you know, don't be afraid, I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow Peak Townsmen know you're a woman of noble character. Shouldn't pause here too long, but if you know your Bibles, Proverbs 31 paints a picture of the perfect wife. She is a woman of noble character, it says. He's saying, you might be a poor, penniless widow from a foreign country and an asylum seeker, but you are the ideal wife. Not because you're rich, because you're not, not because you're successful, but because of the compassion, the love, the grace you've shown. So I might look like I'm making a sacrifice by marrying you, but the love and compassion you've shown mean that I'm actually getting the perfect wife. Nonetheless, there is, of course, a problem, like in every good story. There is another kinsman redeemer who's more closely related to them than Boaz. He is someone who has the right to redeem Ruth and Naomi instead of Boaz. And Boaz can't stand in his way legally. But he says he will do absolutely everything he can to make sure she is looked after and redeemed. And if that man won't do it, he certainly will. And you get a, a hint from this bit of the story that really he's going to make sure that other guy lets him do it. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So Ruth lies down again at his feet, innocently, together but close, very tense, emotion, emotional night, I think. And early in the morning, she goes away secretly so as not to start any false rumours. But not before he can give her a gift. Uh, you know, the threshing floor is very short on engagement rings. So he pours out as much barley as will fit in her shawl to carry home to her mother-in-law. And then, notice he goes straight into town. He's going to start sorting things out. And she goes back to Naomi, and who asks how it went, and Ruth tells her everything. And Naomi says, okay, wait, um... He won't rest till it's sorted. Now, Naomi probably was hoping that Boaz and Ruth were going to come back together and give her the good news, or something like that, whatever they did at that time. He doesn't. That, that can't happen because of this other redeemer. But she knows she can trust him. She knows that Ruth can trust him. She knows that she, they can have confident trust in this redeemer because of the sort of person he is. He will not rest till the matter is settled today. We were just talking a few moments ago with the kids. Jesus isn't here with us. He hasn't given us everything he promised yet. You know, there's so many things that he said he'll do for us that aren't yet with us. Just like Ruth and Naomi, we need to wait. But we have a redeemer we can trust. A redeemer who sort things out, sorts things out. And part of what I was saying to the kids is this. He is right there sorting them out right now. 
His prayer for us, his ruling of the universe, is to make sure that in the end, we are fully redeemed and rescued by him. So the faith in a redeemer like that is an act of faith. We need to come and make a choice. We need to make a decision to be his, to throw ourselves at his feet and to say, rescue me. It's also a sensible trust because it depends on real promises, not on just imaginations or vague hopes or ideas. But it is a confident trust because we know we can rely on our Redeemer. Boaz is just a picture. And there are other things we can learn from this story. We can admire the compassion, the self-giving love of these people. Um, Their willingness to sacrifice themselves for others. They're pretty impressive people. Even if their lives are so very, very different from ours. But at root, the thing to take away is... If this is the Bible, it's the Old Testament's picture of a good redeemer, and the New Testament calls Jesus our redeemer, this is a picture, just a hint, a drawing in charcoal of what the real redemption of Jesus is like. It's about a commitment to make us his, to call us into his family, to make us his forever, and to look after us absolutely in every way we truly need. Let's pray. Father God, in such a distant world, people with lives so different from ours, and yet through that very difference we see something about you which we might not get otherwise. Open our eyes to the self-sacrificial loving kindness, that chesed love that you show to us. You have chosen to give yourself absolutely, to live and die for us so that we could be made yours. Not so that you can give us a handout, not so that you can help us in a tough moment or answer a few prayers, not so that you can just give us the strength to get through this week, but so that we can be yours forever, so that you can love us and pour out your protection and care on us through all eternity. Help us to come to you gladly, to trust you to do that, and to know that you are able to do it however far short we fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.